Hello friends, you're at the midweeks, and we are in 2 Samuel 18. It's a very sad chapter in the history of Israel, but let's get into it. God's going to prove faithful in it all. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to them, I myself will also go out with you. So uh, David is being a military commander again. They're splitting their forces, um, most likely for mobility, where they're going to go fight in a forest requires, is is better served by having smaller forces moving uh, quicker than having a large amassed force. Um, if you're in open field bat- battle, large amassed forces usually have a strength in number uh, component that works well. But if you're in uneven ground or forests, then the ability to move more fluidly and have some independent action is going to help you well. And the king wants to go out as well. Remember, the king isn't a young man anymore. Uh, he's an older man, and he wants to go out. Verse 3, But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. And the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate, while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. All right, here. And so we we see David again. Um, his desire to go in the battle, the people are right because this is a bit of a capture the flag battle. The point isn't to kill the Israelites to kill each other. It is civil war, but they aren't trying to destroy each other. The point is, um, whichever king dies first, Absalom or David, then the war's over because this is a civil war and it's a coup. Um, it's all about leadership, and so whichever leader dies first, that's when the battle ends. It's not really about the soldiers themselves trying to kill each other. They're brothers. This is civil war, but it's whoever, whenever the king dies um, from either side, that's when the battle's ended, and so David's forces are wiser to have David not come than Absalom's forces. Now remember the original idea was that uh, Ahithophel was going to just bring a force on behalf of Absalom to capture David, which was more wise because if Ahithophel had failed, then Absalom was still there to lead his forces. But with Absalom going into battle himself under God's kind of curse that foolishness would reign, then as soon as Absalom's dead, then the the war is over. And that's what's going to happen. But the king is a bit passive here when he replies, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So he's he accepts their counsel. He probably should have had that counsel to start off with and not insisted on trying to insist on going. But the men make him stay behind. And I don't know if there's any like um, echo here to when David stayed behind from the battle when he got into trouble with Bathsheba. Maybe we're just meant to be reminded um, how this all started with David not going into battle. Now here's another time where he's not going into battle and it's better that he doesn't, but it all started with a time David didn't go into battle. Verse 5, And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So this is not good as well that David gives this order, that he doesn't want Absalom killed. Um, That doesn't encourage the army. It hamstrings the generals a bit. Um, And it's going to be a big deal later on. But again, maybe one of the reasons they didn't want David to go into battle is that they kind of knew he might compromise the soldiers by 
uh, throwing the fight for the sake of his son and getting them all killed. If, if he's not ready to go into the battle to fight, he shouldn't go because he might get other people killed. And ultimately, this entire civil war is, is kind of David's fault, and David and Absalom and their family trials are getting lots of people of Israel killed. Though, the people who go to battle are also responsible for choosing to go along with it. Verse 6, So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. The battle spread over the face of the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. So interestingly, we're given um, this battle synopsis. It's from this perspective of David's side, right? It says that David's army goes out to the field against Israel. We're not seeing it from Israel's, the Israelite army's side. We're seeing it from David's army's side. And then we're just given the summary that David won. David's men won, and lots of people died. And it's interesting. When it says the battle spread over the face of the country, it's kind of like there's a bit of a route, so they're chasing people, and little skirmishes are breaking out everywhere. And the forest proved to be very treacherous. You kind of wonder why they decided. Maybe David ended up choosing this. The, the, the terrain was more in favor of his smaller army this way. But it says that the forest devoured many people. And we're going to find out more specifically about that from what happened with Absalom. But you can just imagine as people are running through the woods, they might fall, they might trip, they might break an ankle, they might run into a stick, they might catch it a stick in the eye or something like that. And so, you know, I'm always tempted to think of the Battle of the Ants and those, uh, the Huruans that devour the orcs at the end of uh, the Two Towers or something like that. It's not exactly like that where the forest has come alive on behalf of David, but that the terrain is so treacherous that these untrained soldiers of the battle of or of the army of Israel are hurting themselves in the battle as much as hurting anybody else or more than hurting anybody else. Verse nine: And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David, so it gets lost in the woods. And Absalom was riding on his mule, a sign of kingship, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak tree, and his head was caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. So this is a providential event. So this is where I think we're meant to see that this is from the Lord. And you can remember from previous chapters, um, Absalom's great hair that he cut and it weighed a bunch of shekels um, was the sign of his glory. But now his glory is going to be his downfall. And so there's this humiliation aspect of it. There's this pride cometh before a fall aspect of David's death here. And that his glory of his hair is caught in a tree and then this mule which is a sign of his royalty runs away from him and there's also this aspect coming up that when he dies that the old testament the, Mo the law of moses said that curses be anybody who hangs in a tree or dies hanging in a tree so this is going to be a sign of god's curse on absalom for his regicide attempted regicide and for um, his unbelief and so god's involved in this um working through providence to bring about a curse on Absalom. Verse 10, And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in a tree. And Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt it in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man Absalom. 
On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you, and he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor-bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. So you have this scene here. Absalom's in the tree, humiliated, and somebody sees this, one of David's men sees this, and then goes and reports it to Joab. And in the meantime, you can just imagine that Absalom's hanging there, kicking, yelling, screaming, crying. Um, he's trapped. And so some time passes here with Absalom being trapped there. And this man brings Joab this report, probably a good thing, reporting to the commander. Joab wonders, like, why haven't you just killed him right now? He's the enemy. And the man who brings this report is very shrewd. Um, and it exposes Joab's heart. He says, you know, we all heard the command and there's no way I would have gotten away from it. And he also exposes Joab's. Joab's is a bit two-faced or very two-faced sometimes. Everybody knows about this like out of war murder that he did. And we find here that Joab has lost the confidence of his people. They know he's a military leader, but they don't think he's a good guy. And so he says, you know, even if I had done this bad thing, even though you're telling me now you would have rewarded me, you wouldn't have. You would have very easily saved your own skin and just said like, oh, I never told him to do it or whatever. So Joab is not trusted by his followers. He's led by his, he's, he's followed by his followers, but he's not trusted by his followers. And so Joab understands that he's been rebuked and that it's true. And so he just says, oh, I'm not going to waste my time with you. That's a sign that, that Joab is guilty. He knows in his heart he he would have saved his own butt and not protected this guy, even though he's boasting in the moment that he would. And so, but then he does go and do um, what he said the other guy should do. He goes and kills Absalom. And very likely when he gets his 10 young men, his armor bearers to do it, he's trying to share the guilt of it, right? He doesn't actually want to see Absalom killed and then say, I did this all by myself and bear the guilt of it. He wants to make sure a lot of people have been involved. So, that there's less likely he will be individually or personally punished for what happened there. And the fact that he does the three javelins probably is a sign of his uh, personal anger and vendetta in this, that he's w prolonging this mur this killing, um, that he's like making sport of it, he's treating him like a wild animal that he's throwing javelins at, and that he gets this, then it gets this group to actually do it. The Bible said it is the group that actually kills him instead um, Joab's been like torturing him so this is a sign of Joab acting out of personal vengeance and vendetta and revenge but also maybe a little bit shrewd knowing that this battle this fight's only going to end uh, with Absalom dead verse 16 then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained them and they took Absalom and threw him in a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones and all Israel fled every one to his home own home now Absalom in his lifetime had taken up and set up for himself a pillar that is in the king's valley for he said I have no son to keep my name in remembrance he called the pillar after his own name and it is called Absalom's monument to this day so Absalom is covered with a heap of stones. He's not given a king's burial. He's not brought into Jerusalem to be buried with um, his people. He's just buried in the woods. And it's a shameful barrier, burial and recognizes that he has died under this curse by being hung in a tree. And then instead of being able to talk about his lineage, um, 
Absalom's only lineage is a monument he made for himself. And so we're not quite sure what happened. He did have at least, um, he did have some kids, but it sounds like they may have died somehow. We're not sure. But in case there's a question, like, will somebody stand up to avenge Absalom at some date later on in the history of Israel? The answer is no, because at this point, Absalom has no sons and doesn't expect to have any sons. And so he's only left for himself this stone monument. And uh, so this is, this is a sign that God really has cut off Absalom from the history of Israel for what he did. Verse 19, then Amiah... Uh, sorry, Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Job said to him, You are not to carry the news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. Then Job said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed before Job and ran. Then uh, ah Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said to Job, Come. What may let me also run after the Cushite? And Job said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you'll have no reward for your news? Come what may, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So I'm not really sure. Like, the Cushite is not an Israelite, and the son of Zadok is, I think, the son of a priest, and so he's an Israelite. And so I'm really not sure if they had some sort of deal where, you know, if there was good news, this guy would run. If there's bad news, this guy would run or whatever. Um, I'm unclear about that, but there's some, they take the time to talk about this, that Joab wants to choose someone specifically to bring the news and, um, and not another guy. So I kind of wonder if there's this idea like, um, you know, one blink for good news, two blinks for bad news kind of thing. And they wanted to send the bad news guy because even though Absalom's dead, which means victory for Israel, uh, the king had commanded him not to be killed. And so it's bad news for the king. And so Joab's wrestling with this guy like, why do you want to run? Like, you're not going to get a reward. You're not actually bringing good news. No one's going to be happy that you're coming. But he still wants to run. And so eventually... Um, He's allowed to. Remember, there's no phones, there's no carrier pigeons. People hear about what happened at battle by a marathon runner. Essentially, a long-distance runner would be sent to go and bring the news as quickly as possible. Verse 24. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and this kind of reminds me of Eli at the beginning of the story. Remember, he, his, he sends the Ark of the Covenant out to battle, and it's captured. And now David is the old man waiting for news from the battle and it's not going to be the ark that's captured it's now his son that's dead that's going to be the bad news that david receives but there's a bit of an echo here to the beginning of the two books of samuel that we're hearing david was sitting between the two gates and the watchman went up on the roof of the gate by the wall and when he lifted up his eyes and looked he saw a man running alone the watchman called out and told the king the king said if he's alone there is good news in his mouth and he drew nearer and nearer so david's trying to psych himself forward he doesn't want to hear any bad news particularly about absalom and so he's talking to himself you know if it were bad news there'd be a bunch of people running it would be people fleeing but there's only one person running so it's obviously good news and in one sense it is good news david's um, side hasn't been destroyed and but you can see they're 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 helping you feel it like that king's waiting and he drew nearer and nearer and that helps us enter into the king's like anticipation like please tell me absalom's still alive verse 26 the watchman saw another man running and the watchman called to the gate and said see another man running alone and the king said he also brings news okay that's true 
But remember, he thought, if there's only one, it must be good news. And now there's another one. He says, okay, so he's also bringing news, and now he's becoming unsure. The watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, he is a good man and comes with good news. And so Joab was right. The king was going to interpret who's running as a certain effect, and Joab is going to... to um, be proven right so he's like bad but shrewd remember we said this about Joab before he's very shrewd he's not godly but he's shrewd and he kind of knew how the king would react to seeing Ahimaaz coming but all the king wants is good news like everything he sees he's like it must be good news it must be good news and so he's very worried about how what's going on and trying to psych himself into staying positive verse 28 then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with young men Absalom? So again, where's his heart at? It's not with the soldiers fighting for him. It's just about his son. Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I didn't know what it was. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. So Ahimaaz knew, but he didn't want to be the bearer of bad news. And so he said, well, you know, something happened, but I don't know what was going on. So he wanted to bring the good news of the victory, but he didn't want to talk about um, Absalom's son. Verse 30, or Absalom, verse 31, and behold, the Cushite came and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, the lo for the lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Similar uh, uh, message of the battle victory. 32. And the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. So the Cushite doesn't understand what he's doing here. And maybe... Um, I mean, it's absolutely right that Absalom died. And you would hope that all of the king's enemies would also have that same fate. But he doesn't understand how the king can respond. Joab did, but he doesn't. And the king was moved, deeply moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I have died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And this is how the chapter is going to end. Um, it'll be picked up again. We're going to go to see what, jo what Joab does in response to this. But, you know, there's this great battle victory. There's this coup that's been defeated. Um, Israel's been driven home so that they're not a threat to David and his people anymore. And all and David just begins to weep. And he's weeping over Absalom. And you kind of wonder, like, if this is just the all the bottled up problems in the family is finally coming out with what happened with Absalom because David had a quite a broken relationship with Absalom remember he was in Jerusalem but not invited into the king's presence and then he was invited into the king's presence and Amnon's been killed and one of his sons has died under the the discipline of the Lord and so this thing happens and Abs uh, David is just destroyed by this news of Absalom's death even though Absalom's betrayed him and he just goes away and just, and this very poetic, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. This is his obsession, this broken relationship with a son and the son's death. And it's like, 
but it's also coming out poetically with that parallel there and that wishing that he would have died in his place. And so David now is, is, is actually totally broken by what's happened after all this time. And it's like the fulfillment of God's rebuke for what David did to Uriah and to Bathsheba is finally come all the way into his heart and he's really really broken about what's happened and this is how the chapter ends with the kings in victory but his spirit kind of defeated and what's going to happen next so a challenging chapter and remember what we're seeing here is there's this promise that one of the king's sons is going to rule over Israel. And the question was, could it be a usurping son? And the answer is no. It does need to be a righteous son and a son of faith. But in the meantime, we're also seeing that promise that David's sons would be disciplined for their unbelief come true through God disciplining David in his unbelief. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Oh my goodness. So anyhow, I hope you're blessed. We're learning God's word. And thank goodness for Jesus, the true son of God, who did not rebel against the will of his kingly father, but in the garden of Gethsemane, submitted himself completely to the will of the father and went and himself hung on a tree unto death and himself bore the curse of sin, but not his own sin. He bore the curse of our sin on the tree and with his death, brought to an end the reign of Satan in our lives and over the earth and brought the beginning through his resurrection of the new heavens and the new earth in the kingdom of God being fulfilled, the true David Jesus, going through the events of the false son of David, Absalom, but the true son of David dying on a tree in a way that brought blessings to the world and ended forever this cycle of unbelieving sons of David coming and ruling over Israel. Now forever a true believing son of David rules forever over Israel and over the whole universe and he is our loving savior. Thank God for Christ.